A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And let's be honest with you, man. Right? <laughs> okay. Good vegan cheese is the last bastion of the <laughs> vegan food production. Because vegan cheese, let's face it, is not as good as it could be. Yeah. But you bet your bottom dollar, it will be. Hello everyone, it's me, Jimmy Doherty. Welcome to another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Now this is the podcast that really tries to straighten out our worries when it comes to the environment and also give us a little bit of the good life along the way. Now I've come up just to feed my breeding bull Lucky. I tell you what, Lucky is one of the most handsome fellas you're ever gonna meet. He's a Riggett Galloway, he's broad at the shoulder, he's nice and sturdy at the back end, he's got a lovely straight back He's got a curly lock of hair. I mean, how any heifer could resist that, I just do not know. And he's having a lovely munch with some beautiful hay that's just been put out for him, eh? How's that, Lucky? We call him Lucky because he's the breeding bull. He's just got about 35 wives, I think, at the moment. How you feeling, Lucky? A bit worn out, I don't blame you. Hey, Lucky, getting your head in there. Now, on today's episode, two interesting guys. And that's Henry Firth and Ian Threesby. Now, Henry and Ian are better known as the Bosch Boys. Now, Bosch itself has just become its own brand. They are the go-to when it comes to vegan food. Now, veganism is just everywhere at the moment. And you've got different elements of veganism and you've got extreme veganisms and you've got extremists within veganism. But the Bosch boys are really interesting because they're a little bit more liberal in their approach and what the whole ethos is, is just about everyone getting to try vegan food. And it often has a bit of a bad press with it, vegan food as being a bit bland or, or whatever else, but there's some incredible vegan food out there. And I don't think their remit is to turn us all into vegans. You know, I'm walking through the farm and I'm a livestock farmer and there's been a bit of friction between both camps veganism and meat eaters and I don't think there really needs to be but I think what they try to do is just getting us to eat a bit more veg which is no bad thing you know I think my view and I say it to them I think I think that we all as a society eat far too much of everything anyway obesity is going through the roof there's more obese people than are malnourished in the world you know we need to pull back on our intake of so many food items 
but they are fantastic authors and they've produced some beautiful books as well as being big influencers when it comes to Instagram. Now I caught up with them, I had a good old chat with them, not face to face, this is on a Zoom call, but they're delightful. And listen, I hope you enjoy the chat. I don't trust cats, man. It's like dogs, they're there and they're like, da, 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 how are you? A cat is just like, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't care. I'll either sit on your lap or won't. And also when yeah. you go to bed, they get on your work surface and I reckon they put their bum on the chopping board. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, make, they make a point of doing that because they know you're going to be chopping your food there tomorrow. <laughs> they so do. It's just, they're just, I, I don't know, cats, it's always dogs for me. But you're animal lovers. But listen, I remember when you guys hit the scene and to be honest, when it comes to the whole vegan movement and vegan food, you guys are amazing because you were like, for me, as a non-vegan, a breath of fresh air because there wasn't any sort of agenda. You weren't sort of going, no, this is evil. Stop eating meat, blah, blah, blah. You approached it in a different way, completely different way. And that's what I love about you guys. You've got a real air of positivity about you. Thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> that means a lot. Yes, that's always been our plan, actually, was to make books and make recipes that our family and friends would like. And our family and friends all eat meat and still eat meat. And to try and show that you can be a normal functioning human being and, in fact, a normal functioning male mm -hmm. in today's society and eat vegan food and enjoy vegan food without having to have an argument with everybody on a constant basis. And I think mainly it's been about celebrating the food and celebrating deliciousness because everybody can agree on what is a tasty dish. Yeah, definitely. I think both Henry and I are relatively culturally well-tuned. And it's kind of when we first went vegan, I remember definitely I was a little bit more kind of you know, waving the flag of veganism by posting things on Facebook or like, you know, shocking imagery from slaughterhouses or whatever else. But then after a little while, a very small while, the kind of cultural intuition tapped in and you're like, well, this is definitely not the best way to go about putting a message out there. So we just like, it's all about good quality food that people actually want to eat, as Emery says. So yeah, I think you live and learn. You realize that everyone is on their own journey. Everyone makes different decisions. Everyone has a different view of what sustainability means, about what they have prepared to fit into their life. And actually we realized that our place in that world was to show people how to cook delicious food. Now that's not to say that we don't like agree with vegans in general and their direction. We think it's absolutely fantastic that there are people out there talking about animal rights and talking about sustainability. And we're totally, you know, pro those general ethoses. But for us, it's more important that we just cook food that people want to eat, whoever they are, whenever they want to eat it. And that's our whole way of existing. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because that whole the veganism agenda and everything else. And, you know, I'm a livestock farmer and I've embraced the vegan movement because actually it's brought into focus on quite a lot of poignant questions. And it's been a good thing for farmers like myself in terms of small scale, grass based, free range, all that kind of stuff. And also there's this whole Instagram, Facebook, endless messaging and repeating of imagery, often out of context and things. Well, I think actually, if you move away from all those agendas and actually walk your own path with, you know, if you talk the talk, walk the walk, and that's what you guys have done. And so for both of you, your journey's into veganism. So how did it start? When was the turning point for you? So, I mean, Ian was first, so you should probably go first. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So basically, at the back end of 2014, I was not living particularly well, drinking too much booze, 
having too many late nights, eating far too much crap food. And um, I kind of just needed to sort of reset. So it was a New Year's resolution, essentially, to trial vegetarianism for three months to see if I could do it. And one month into that trial of vegetarianism, I found it really difficult because I had no idea what to cook, really no idea why I was actually doing it, but I wanted to see the challenge through. So at the back end of January of 2015, I thought I'm going to start reading about vegetarian food, about why people are vegetarian. And the more I read, the more I learned and the more I realized that actually there's another layer to this and it's called veganism. And then one of our good friends, a guy called Adam Biddle, I remember talking to him, we were talking to him and he told us about this documentary called Cowspiracy. So I watched it and I was like, whoa, okay, so that's pretty powerful stuff. So from the 1st of March 2015, I decided that veganism was the way forward. And then Henry watched the film about three or four weeks after with me. And then that's when you sort of came across to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, I went cold turkey, actually, pardon the pun. Did you? Yes, and I was fully against Ian's <laughs> vegan madness. I had a freezer full of high welfare meat from a farm that our friends had literally driven onto a farm and bought, you know, a freezer load of high-grade meat for uh, about four of us, which we put in our freezer. And at the time, I had a personal trainer that was recommending I eat lots of meat. And so I was so unimpressed by Ian's cooking. <laughs> but, you know, I did have a desire to, to try and do something about climate change. I was kind of, you know, my mum was a bit of an activist, and I really I felt frustrated by the slow pace of change with regard to climate change. I felt like the government wasn't doing enough six years ago to talk about climate change and those issues. And I had absolutely no idea before watching this film, Caspiracy, that there was any link between what we chose to eat and the greenhouse gas emissions that we personally create. Mm -hmm. And once Caspiracy showed me that link, I was just gobsmacked. Yeah. And I went vegan overnight. And the nice thing was I then felt amazing. And we then decided there was not enough vegan recipes on the internet at the time. And that was a place we felt like we could make our mark. So that's why we set up Bosch. It's interesting because you've actually, the Bosch thing has really sort of brought a nice brand to it because I think it gives you a, a focal point, doesn't it? And I mean, I've done shows on veganism. I went for Food Unwrapped, I went to the States and I had to become vegan for, I think it was 10 days. How did you find it? It was horrific. <laughs> so I won't lie to you, it was absolutely horrific. Really? How come? What was it? It was fine when I was in Los Angeles Yeah. because there was loads of food. And it was lovely and you could eat really well, beautiful. But when you get to the Midwest and other places, all I found myself eating was Beyond Burger. And it was yeah. cornflakes with water. And it was miserable. And I got to a point where my energy levels totally dropped. And I was doing it because it's part of the show and, you know, let's be a vegan, let's see what it's like. And I was visiting vegan food factories and all that kind of stuff. We went to Beyond Burger, went to the, the Tofurky producer, all this kind of stuff. But I found actually for being a vegan in certain parts of the US, and it's the, probably the same with the UK, it's really miserable. It's bland, it's hideous, and you're having to just eat the food that everyone else is eating, but with all the good stuff taken out. And by that, I mean all the flavour. So, I mean, going through your books and going through your latest book, it's colourful, it's vibrant, it's wonderful. And that's the tricky thing, isn't it? Is that how you make the steps, what you want to do in terms of the environment or what you want to do in terms of what you, is perceived as animal welfare, but how you make that change and still have food that is recognisable, both shape and form and in taste and texture. Absolutely. I think that it's interesting that you touch on travel there because 
it is one of the greatest challenges that we face. Mm -hmm. You know, actually on a day-to-day basis in the UK, it's pretty easy for us to eat delicious or healthy vegan food now. There's so many options available. But the minute you go abroad, you will find you're limited. And it's crazy to see that in the last five years, the UK has leapfrogged the US mm. in terms of availability of options. We were in New York airport trying to uh, find some vegan food and not only was there nothing, but we also were met with kind of blank faces from the servers who didn't really even know what we were asking about. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy to see that it's still difficult to travel and that is one of the challenges that people who are trying to eat vegan face. And what we often recommend to people who are in that situation is just, look, find your own way. If your own way is bringing pack up, then bring pack up. Yeah. If your own way is not stressing about the fish sauce because you're traveling in Asia, that's your call too. Yeah. Like just find your own way to deal with that. But you're right, our goal has always been to try and cook delicious food and colorful food so that people can get all of those nutrients, all of that good plant goodness, and not just eat, as you say, cornflakes and water. Or salad <laughs> and chips. If you go into yeah. like the middle of England, you yeah. will still find some pubs where all you can eat is salad and chips. Yeah, it's so true. Because I felt worse for it. And it's interesting because with veganism is that it's not a religion, but some people approach it as if it is a religion. But then I suppose you can't say I've called yourself fully vegan, but you can pick and choose bits that work for you, can't you? I think that's a modern approach. If you look at the vegan society's definition of vegan, it means a way of living that seeks to exclude use of animal products or animal exploitation as far as is possible and practicable. And I think that as far that hedge as far as is possible and practicable, says a lot. So, for, you know, there's aspects of farming where you can't avoid there's going to be some animals used. Like there's the whole thing about avocados or, you know, mangoes and mm. bees and all of that stuff. You know, there's always going to be some animals getting hurt in farming. Yeah. But that doesn't negate the benefit of living a largely vegan life. And if some people, as far as possible and practicable, means they do it when they're kids are out of the house, but then when they have to cook for their kids, they end up eating whatever they cook for their kids. That's their choice as well. And I think more and more we're moving towards this world where with ideas like Veganuary, which is just trying out vegan for the month of January, more and more we're moving to a world where you can just dip your toe in yeah. and you can have a vegan meal mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be this religious approach to veganism. Yeah, because like you say, it's impossible. It is 100% impossible to be completely vegan. Yeah, and it's not black and white either. Yeah. It's all just at shades of grey. Yeah. So I think the more we can realise we're living in a very complex world with lots of like interweaving difficult aspects of food systems and farming, actually it's just moving in a more sustainable direction with your eating is a great thing to do, however you choose to do it. Yeah, and I think the idea of being, like you said, truly vegan or white than white is an impossibility because you'd have to just sort of hover over the earth without putting your foot on the ground. Because <laughs> the thing is, yeah. is that whatever you eat, be it a cabbage or a cow, whatever, you've displaced natural biodiversity. Animals have died along the way, be it directly or indirectly. I mean, if you try and grow a cabbage outside, you end up with cabbage white butterflies all over it and, and your cabbage is eaten. You've got to control those insects, be it organically or conventionally, whatever way. Is otherwise you just don't get the veg in the supermarket. So you can't avoid animal death in whatever you're eating. It's the natural process. It's it's how it is. But what's nice about it is you can kind of aim in that direction 
and then be okay if you don't quite land there. Yeah. And I think that's that's what people are trying to aim for. Yeah, I think we would much rather, like we're the sort of the vegan guys, you know, so we become exclusively plant-based. But I think we would personally much rather have like a large percentage of people eating less meat than a small percentage of people eating just vegan. I think that's ultimately what's going to happen here, like in this kind of just upward trajectory of more and more people trialing veganism. But I think what we tend to find is that we speak to people who have gone vegan, done it for like three months, and they found it quite difficult. So they've gone back to eating, but they haven't gone back to eating as they used to. Like what they're doing now is kind of just eating less of what they were eating before. And ultimately, I think that that's a really good thing. Yeah, well, the planet can't sustain yeah. the amount of meat that we are currently eating as a nation. And especially when you count the United States and the increasing consumption in China. So if, if everyone were to kind of move towards meat as a treat, meat as we'd, a treat. Be in a, we'd be in a much better place environmentally, I think. It's interesting because what you're describing is how my granddad used to eat. And they, be and they could, yeah, because they couldn't afford meat. And so you would mm. have meat at the weekend and you'd have veg or you'd have a stew made from the leftovers or whatever else it is. And you grew some veg in the garden. Because now I think, you know, what is it? There's more obese people in the world than are malnourished. Mental. We're eating far yeah. too much of everything. And sort of one of your pillars is the health properties of veganism. And I think it's because of your... It's your clean cooking and clean ingredients. And veganism has become so popular. And it, it reminds me of the time when eating local and farmer's markets started kicking off, you know, about sort of 15, 20 years ago. And I used to do six markets a week. And supermarkets pretty quickly caught on to the local and small producer kind of vibe. They've really done that with veganism now, haven't they? And that really shows that it's really become more popular. But do you worry that the big guys are getting their claws into veganism? The difference between supermarket shelves from five years ago to now is just unbelievable. If five years ago, if you said, oh yeah, you'd walk into a supermarket and the vegan meat aisle would be basically the same size as the meat aisle, you'd be like, no way, absolutely no way. So yeah, the change has been marked and I personally think it's marvelous. And also we've just been to America to this food festival and all of the stuff that we saw will probably be released between 12 and 18 months from now. And believe you me, there is a tsunami of vegan meat coming. And it's a really exciting place to be. And I think, you know, we run a company in the vegan space. It's a small business. So on one hand, we're like, oh God, the big boys are getting involved. This is not good. But on the other hand, it's like, no, it's amazing. Because if the big boys are getting involved and they're investing in infrastructure, that investment, they're not going to drop it. They're just going to keep on building on it. So I just don't see a world where what's happening now is going to get smaller. It might plateau. But we're in the midst of a plant-based revolution at the moment, I feel. Yeah. And that surely is a good thing. I mean, I visit farms and factories all over the world. And actually, I've seen some of the biggest agribusiness getting on the vegan bandwagon. And I've been to lots of, you know, what my worry is that you see something that is pure and wholesome turned into you know, massive factory produced processed foods because it's so popular. And the question is that, you know, where you guys represent clean eating, it's all about right ingredients, that when you get some of the big manufacturers turning out sort of vegan buffalo wings with umpteen ingredients it starts to lose its health properties yeah i hear you i think that we've always been mission driven and we've always had our north star be climate over and above health i mean we do care about health but then if you made our lasagna <laughs> from book one our rich and creamy lasagna you'd probably find it wasn't that healthy because it's 
probably absolutely laden with fat. So I think I think for us, our North Star is trying to get more vegan options available for everyone where they want them. And I think, you know, we think health is really important and we, we've got a book purely focused on healthy vegan recipes. And that's where you're looking at the colorful plant foods, what people would call whole foods plant-based, which is such a great way to eat, by the way, if you are looking to kind of turbocharge your health and you think you've got the discipline, then eating whole foods plant-based is like a super, super gift to your body. But I think generally for most people, their eating habits do involve cakes, Mm -hmm. do involve burgers, and it's unrealistic to expect them to just migrate quickly onto a diet, which is pretty much just exclusively salads. (laughs) So I think we are happy if the world is moving towards more plant-based options. And if some of them are burgers and some of them are cakes, we still think that's an improvement. And so we're kind of happy with that, but we understand the the concern about processed foods. And I think if you're listening to this and you're trying to eat more plants, then definitely limiting those processed foods is a good plan. Mm. You know, maybe as a treat as well. 80-20. We like to say 80% of the time healthy, 20% treat. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, if you're purely as a business-driven organisation, money-making organisation, it's easy to jump on a bandwagon and go, right, we're going to make a load of money on this quick. And then I think that, in a way, dilutes the purpose of it. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's important that you guys get people on track and go, actually, this is what it's about. People are buying this stuff feverishly. Like, in fact, you just go down the street in London at the moment and basically every second advert is for a vegan product, be it Subway's latest vegan sandwich. Domino's latest vegan pepperoni pizza. And I think that the more money people spend on plant-based options at these like traditionally meaty retailers, 
that the bottom line is just going to be this thing appearing on the graph, this plant-based thing, and they'll be like, oh, there's an opportunity there. So they'll just start having more options, and then it will just become this kind of bigger swelling thing. And there's surely got to be a point where Beyond Burgers are cheaper to produce than beef burgers, then surely that's the tipping point where the whole business shifts to that model, mm. you know? There's definitely be people jumping on the bandwagon though. So I've seen products that have always been vegan. They've gone and they've put the V on it. You go, hang on a minute. Oh, That's right, always totally. been vegan. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. But you guys have made it easy for people to dip their toe or go fully vegan or whatever they want to do. Because I've got this, your book here, Bosch on a Budget, right? Which is beautiful. And I've got to say that it appeals to everyone, but it does really appeal to men as well, I think, because there's fantastic burgers in there. There's street food. There's all sorts of stuff. But the subtitle on it is you know, Bosch on a budget, right? Because the other thing is veganism is seen to be expensive now. And people often go, well, it's the same price. You know, a slice of cauliflower is the same price as a, a bit of steak. But you can do it on a budget, can't you? And what's the key to that? Do you know, the key is just not buying products in a box or in a packet or anything that says vegan on it. Don't buy it because ultimately the core nuts and bolts of vegan cooking are just fruits, vegetables, whole grains, pulses, legumes, all the kind of stuff we should be eating. Like I mentioned before, the whole foods, plant-based diet, all of those ingredients are going to be relatively affordable, especially if you are trying to shop in season as well. But it's when you start picking up those burgers picking up those sausages, mm -hmm. picking up those things that were made in a factory, that is when you are going to see the costs start to add up. So our number one tip really is, yeah, just get down with cooking. Cook the food yourself from raw ingredients and you're already going to save a load of money. Yeah. We're also big fans of batching for saving money. So say if you're lucky enough to have a decent sized fridge freezer in your house and you're making a spaghetti bolognese on a Saturday, just triple the ingredients and then you've got three times the amount and then you just sort of portion some up and pop it in the freezer for later. So you're saving money and you're saving time and also just providing yourself with a, a good healthy option when you could easily just call for a pizza. But one of the barriers to that, I think, is that people find it a little bit boring to just cook the same thing. So for example, you know, you make a bolognese sauce, well, maybe you could also turn that into a lasagna or turn that into a moussaka as well as a bolognese. So we show people how to freestyle a little bit around one core base ingredient. We've also got curry stock that makes the most incredible Indian curries. Yeah. It's this British Indian restaurant technique where you have a separate pre-made, pre-blended, essentially a spiced onion soup that you add to a curry to make a super quick, super fast, creamy curry. Now you can batch that stuff. Mm. And if you've got some bags of that curry stock batched and in your freezer, you can have a curry on the table in 15 minutes. That is absolutely restaurant yeah. quality. Having all those little bits, having a freezer, having, I've got a little chest freezer and having little bags of stuff that I've, you know, I've batched up or stuff you can easily whip out the front is a game changer, isn't it? For anything yeah, totally. like that. But when it comes to vegan food is that it's quite hard if you're not into cooking. So a lot of people are scared of cooking anyway and, and don't really have a go. But, you know, turn your hand to vegan cooking. You've really got to, it's trial and error to really make it work. Having this book really helps because vegan food, if you're cooking it badly, can turn out terrible, you know, because you're not having eggs, you haven't got butter and it takes a bit of skill. Do you feel that you almost have to learn to cook again? I think, yes, is a short answer. But actually, like, I think this is why we set up Bosch to begin with, because we went vegan or started eating plant-based, whichever way you want to describe it. And after about a year 
of trial and error, cooking, learning things, failing miserably on some things, like Henry said about the brown curry that I used to do. <laughs> a brown curry. It just sounds terrible. Just a brown, yeah, curry. Just a brown curry. Yeah. But we built up this bank of kind of knowledge and tips and tricks and ways to sort of best get the best out of plant ingredients. And we thought, well, you know, you're looking at this upward curve here. The search results for the word vegan on Google are just hockey sticking. There's more vegan things popping up in supermarkets. There's video on social media is now a thing because technology has got better and connectivity's got better. And we were seeing people like BuzzFeed's Tasty doing loads of food videos. So we like, well, you know, we've got this knowledge. We know how to make videos. We're good with tech. We blend all those things together. We can genuinely provide real value to people. Yeah. And that's kind of how Bosch was born. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's having those things like, you know, being able to caramelize something or sear it or all those things when it comes to vegetables. Because most of the, the cooking, especially when I was growing up, if it was just veg, it was like a you make a masaka or you make some sort of stew or curry or something like that. You know, it's like, uh, it was very difficult without those, if you to do it vegan, was very, you know, and then it gave a misconception of what vegans were about and what vegan food was about. It was like you'd lived in some sort of teepee somewhere and uh, wore funny shoes. But that was back in sort of the 70s and early 80s. Do you still get that, a lot of that misconception? I think so. I think that, uh, by the way, our top tip for cooking, if you are trying to cook vegan, is layering flavour. So like you said, searing and caramelisation, that's one way you can do it. But also having some of these kind of umami adding ingredients on the side, like, you know, uh, some soy sauce or maybe some, as Ian said, some marmite, some red wine, some balsamic vinegar. We can actually get a lot of that nice umami flavour just by layering flavours. But yeah, I think people still have the misconception that vegan food is boring. And some of it is, to be fair. You know, there's plenty of people who just make kind of bean chilli and add a little bit of cumin and that's done. Yeah. And I think you have to learn, if you're cooking vegan, you do have to start from scratch and you have to learn to layer flavour. And you're probably going to end up using a few more ingredients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think once you can use vegetables and you turn it into something that tastes like a, a proper bolognese or you're doing something, you go, oh, my God, it was, was, there, was there any meat in that? And you give it to a meat eater. It's almost like you're like the Obi-Wan Kenobi of cooking because you're using sort of like Jedi skills to turn, you know, something that we're not used to eating to replicate the unctuousness of meat or the creaminess of dairy or whatever it is. Because in, in here, you're talking about using, is it a risotto you're doing? And you're using yeast to give it a cheesy quality. So you're not using Parmesan, but you give, because like at the end of a risotto, I put in Parmesan, a little bit of olive oil, or butter, and it'll emulsify and give you that lovely creaminess. You can do that without those ingredients. Absolutely, yes. And by the way, like I used to love Parmesan oh, back man. in the day. Yeah. So, you know, people talk about giving up cheese being a hard thing to do. And it wasn't really, but I do remember how good Parmesan was. Yeah. But yeah, there's this magical ingredient. We like to call it nooch or magic dust. And you sprinkle that on top and just a little bit of lemon maybe. Mm -hmm. And you can really get that umami that unctuousness and that kind of deliciousness mm -hmm. with something that is actually super cheap yeah. and super easy to get hold of now, which is great. Yeah, nutritional yeast or nooch, as we say, <laughs> is, is definitely a magic ingredient for the vegan cook's cupboard because it gives you B12, which is really obviously really good for your health generally, gives umami, like Henry says, but also it's just magnificently cheesy if you treat it right. It's a wonder ingredient now. Yeah, I mean, that, reading that, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Because a lot of my friends that have gone vegan or are thinking about going vegan, one of the biggest things is like, well, cheese. Can't live without cheese. Yeah. And let's be honest with you, man, <laughs> right? Okay. 
good vegan cheese is the last bastion of the <laughs> vegan food production because vegan cheese, let's face it, is not as good as it could be. Yeah. But you bet your bottom dollar it will be. Because you mentioned Beyond Burgers before. I think Beyond Burgers, when I first ate them, it was like, oh my God, what on earth is going on here? It just tastes like meat. It's exactly the same. And someone somewhere is working on a vegan cheese. They're probably, you know, reverse engineering milk in order to sort of build up vegan cheese. And when that person releases that product, it will fundamentally change the whole vegan landscape. And you can guarantee it's going to happen. There's all this precision fermentation that's happening at the moment, which is uh, the Chinese invested billions into, which is going to be fermentation and producing all sorts of food. And cheese could be one of them. Dairy is going to be one of them. But I think vegan cheese, you've got a melty cheese because I've done some uh, stories on that. But Stilton is still a long way off. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot to be done, I would mm. say. So do you trial vegan cooking, March? And obviously you did 10 days. How are you in your home life? Well, I, to be honest with you, a lot of my a lot of my food. I mean, I eat meat three times a week, and say, for example, Sunday lunch we had a chicken, but then that will last us. That would be a chicken soup, a chicken stock, and I, and we drag it out. But I eat quite a lot of veg anyway, and you know, if I cook a Sri Lankan curry, it's predominantly it's vegan. And the reason when I go to Sri Lanka quite a lot because a lot of their food's quite veggie is because they can't afford the meat element to it. So the ghee will go in and stuff like that. But the meat side of thing, a lot of cultures tends to be because they can't afford the meat side. You know, it's one of those things. But it's interesting. I spoke to Ramesh Ranganathan about veganism and he's a big celebrated vegan. And he said, I totally get it, though. It's a first world luxury, he said, because, you know, if you go to so many parts of the world, if you think about it, there's still a billion of the poorest people in the world that rely on livestock and they aren't cattle ranchers or whatever else or big farmers they own a goat or they've got a cow and two goats and they don't know any land they can't grow carrots and pull them out the ground and go to the next area they live in the margins of society and there'll always be that element to it but i suppose what is scary is when you look at somewhere like china and china already eats half the world's pigs which is amazing but i do think you know eating meat should be seen as a luxury we should eat less of it but I can't see a farming system without livestock, though. That's the thing. I can't see a way that you can cycle nutrients and maintain biodiversity, particularly if you're going to be organic, without livestock. I can't see it happening. It was really interesting that you mentioned that you were it, the whole vegan movement was making you think differently about your farm. Like, what specifically have you been thinking about? Well, no, it made me think probably not how I farm because I've always farmed in mind with the environment and nature in mind. That's the reason I started farming. But my worry with veganism is that somehow that we perceive that the vegetables or the sustenance we're going to feed on is somehow going to be organically grown. And, and when you look at large agribusiness, it is about monocultures. And so when we choose our products, we've still got to have that in mind. Whatever you buy should be from a sustainable source because it's easy just to think, oh, it's vegan, it's going to be great. We've got to make sure that the farming is still incredibly sustainable. Totally, yeah. And we are certainly not advocates of just fields and fields and fields of the same crop decimating the land again and again. I think that's actually often a misconception is that vegans just want 
the world to be covered with soy fields. <laughs> and it's not. That's not what we're saying. We're not stood here with the answer that this is, I'm not, certainly not going to tell you how you need to farm your fields. Mm. But what we are doing is we're looking at the studies, like, for example, Dr. Joseph Paul's study, this absolutely legendary researcher from Oxford University, where he just ranked, quite simply, just ranked greenhouse gas emissions of foods from high to low and looking at the fact that plants are just so efficient to eat. So I think we need to move our food system more in the direction of plants. And the way we need to do that is we need to move our food eating more in the direction of plants. How we do that is a problem we need to solve. How we move food efficiently, where we move it from and to is a problem we need to solve. We certainly don't have those answers, but I think it's amazing that we're all talking about it. And the more we can do so without an argument and with a kind of open, friendly discussion, it's great. 100%. It is such a complicated issue. And often with, I find with statisticians, and is that nature doesn't have any straight lines. Yeah. And when you look at a spreadsheet or when you look at columns of data, and I, and I study ecosystems in terms of the effect of plant diversity on insect diversity. And I had these little tiny lab experiments. So were you a scientist back in the day? Then? I did. Back in the day, I had, gl I had glasses and a goatee beard and, and long hair. <laughs> nice. I can just imagine it. We've got a load of books behind you, so it fits. Oh, uh, yeah. Properly uh, geek chic. But it's an interesting one because it's so easy to get wrapped up in those things. But nature's so convoluted. But I think, you know, it's about copying ecosystems. And I think that we get caught up in these different camps. And as soon as you do that, there's a danger. There's a danger of getting caught up in these little camps and, like you say, throwing stones at each other and all that kind of stuff. But definitely, we need to look at our resources and how we use them in, in the best way. And if you look back at how farming used to be, livestock was always the luxury and it was always the byproduct of growing your wheat and your barley and your vegetables. So your animals would be for meat, milk and work. So you'd only, you'd milk them and they'd be for work, for plowing. And after they've come to the end, then you would eat them. But we've turned meat into the primary product. It's like if you ever grow, like if you look at aquaponics, and that's when you use fish to produce the fertilizer in the water to produce your veg. And if you talk to any person that has aquaponics on his scale, he says, if you're growing it for the fish, it's the wrong reason. The fish are the byproduct. You know, they are the producers, the fertilizer that produce the veg. And as soon as we see meat, and for my view, as the primary product, we're missing the thing. So I think we need to go back to a basic way of farming, regenerative farming, and how we look after the soils is the most important thing for me. Totally. I think, and soil is something that doesn't get talked about enough yeah. uh, when talking about food. And I think, do you know, one of the really interesting things is availability of information to help us make choices. So we have got this amazing traffic lighting system on food for sugars, fats, and, and so that helps us make choices about what is healthy when we're buying stuff from the supermarket. And I think if we could get more information on pack about like the carbon impact of a particular food, that could be super helpful for like letting consumers make their own decisions. Definitely. And I think it's true for me to say one thing about vegans not being a vegan is that vegans are the best shoppers in the world, right? Because whenever <laughs> we read every label. whenever I see a vegan in the supermarket, you don't you know, you know they're a vegan because they have almost got a microscope or a hand lens mm -hmm. looking yeah. at the back of the label. And because that's how we need to shop. If we shopped more like vegans and read every little thing of where it's come from, we'd make so many more better choices. 
Totally. Yeah. And it's not even just about what's in the food as well. You know, we're in this world now where we need to be thinking more about packaging, mm-hmm. sustainability mm-hmm. on the whole. It's great to see, you know, organizations like B Corps yeah. popping up that are, you know, companies that are trying to improve the world as well as turn a profit. And I think the more we can all move in that direction, the better. Yeah. And also, you guys are big on Insta. You're big on social. You're influencers, aren't you, right? You are the guys. And so do you get recognised quite a lot? Do you get chased down the street? It does happen. (laughs) Which, you know, what's really surreal is when you're in another country and it happens. So, for example, in America, it happens all the time. Germany. Germany, Germany, yeah. Germany a couple of times. When we were in Spain, yeah, people do notice you. And uh, it's good. We're, I think we're, obviously it's, it's great because if we're being recognised and we just do vegan food, it means that vegan food is getting a really good platform. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially, like we said, right from the get-go, mission-driven. So to be recognised is good yeah. because it means that we're doing something right for the vegan food. It is fun though as well. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> we haven't we haven't really had any weirdos, Jimmy. No, it's quite good. <laughs> Someone wanted to name their guinea pigs after us, and they asked us to choose which one was which. Yeah. And sometimes we'll get a fan doodle or a fan drawing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally it's really nice. But where do you find that? It's not like left in the back of your car or something, is it? It's not really creepy. It's not like... <laughs> Sometimes they give it to us yeah. at, at book signings and things. Although I guess for the last two years, it's been more digital, hasn't yeah. it? That's right. Wow. So that's incredible, isn't it? And that really shows you, you know, the growing market for this. And then the demand to know how to cook as well. And I think you guys do a great job, you know, because it's... You're doing it in a way that it's really open to people and at all levels, you know. And, and I think the skills to be able to create a fantastic burger or a chili just using veg is brilliant. And also it, it's resourceful. You're using every bit. There's not a lot of waste going on. That's it, yeah. I would also say we cook a lot of food, Jimmy, as you yeah. can imagine. Mm-hmm. Like when we make a cookbook, we are cooking kind of five meals a day for three months on end. And we hate food waste. We're ardently against food waste. So our neighbours are very well fed. Oh, yes, they are. Ours is our freezer. So if you ever need any food sending up your way, which I'm sure you don't, (laughs) but if you do, we'll add you to the list. Yeah. Listen, I'll give you a ring. I will give you a ring. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure. So there we are. Aren't they delightful? Henry Firth and Ian Theesby. I hope I pronounced... Ian's second name properly. Apologies if I haven't. So, lovely conversation that. Coming from two different ends of the spectrum. Me as a livestock farmer, these guys as vegans. And that really shows there's proper healthy dialogue to have here. I mean, everyone can learn from each other. And when it comes to eating meat, Lucky, the ball, you'll agree with me, is that, you know, it's expensive to produce it. Every food that we produce has an effect on the environment. And whatever we eat, we should always look at it with appreciation and never ever waste anything that is grown that you get in the supermarket. We waste far too much food and I think what veganism has taught us is the the impact of our diets on the planet. So guys listen, if you've enjoyed the episode, please rate us, like, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. It helps those folks that haven't found us yet find us and I will see you all again for another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.